0: Welcome to the Next Wave Radio Hour from WERU Community Radio, a program featuring folks around their 20s and 30s from across Maine. I'm your host, Pepin Middlehauser, and I use he, they pronouns. In this show, I hope to provide you with unique perspectives of life from the next generation working to create the future they hope to see. guest today is a painter from central maine who agreed to stop by the studio to talk about growing up finding his passion and creating a life that truly works for him
1: oh sure um my name is nathan allard and i'm a painter i live in uh, somerville maine do you want to share a little bit about you know where you came from how you got to where
0: you are you know what your your
1: where you grew up kind of that sure process yeah um so i i grew up in a small town called somerville maine and um it's a very very small town 300 to 500 people depending on what season of year you're in um so uh the place that i grew up is a it was a hunting camp that my grandfather um he bought in i think it was the 50s or 60s and then my family's kind of slowly renovated it and um you know Remodeled it over the years, but uh, my experience of growing up in Maine was very like outdoors Woodsy kind of experience. So um, I was homeschooled also. And so a lot of my time was spent Just out in the woods uh, collecting things and um, You know being in nature and being kind of absorbed in that. So That that certainly has had an effect on the uh, The type of art and the type of uh, work that I do Um Were you homeschooled all the way up through high school? Yes, yeah, all all the way through high school. Um, Early, earlier on, I you know most all kids draw and paint and you know do little crafty kind of things. Um, So I I did a lot of that, and most of my interest in art has come in like spurts, if if that makes sense. Like from a young age, it hasn't been like. I want to be Van Gogh, you know, it it hasn't been like that. Um, It's just been certain things that have interested me for a while and then move on to other interests. And then it's been a recurring interest, you know, all growing up through high school and then uh, towards the end of high school is when I got a little more serious about it. Um, I would. uh, when I was like 16, 17. I did a lot of um, painting and I'd enter them in. uh, the local like agriculture fairs um like the windsor fair common ground and skokigan fair and um there were certainly no great works of art um it was mostly if you if you got a prize or an award you got three four dollars and you know after a summer of doing the fairs i had you know 50 60 bucks that i could go buy some paper and some paint with and uh-huh. you know experiment more with so that was kind of uh that was kind of like my first uh, chance to show my paintings, I guess, and get uh, get feedback for my art. Um, so that that was that was kind of an age, and then um, or an era, if you will. And then I got interested with other things, but I guess I guess uh, towards the end of high school is when I really started becoming more interested in it and um, doing some oil painting and and different things. Is that around the age when you um, like? Is that the point when
0: you? shifted into this is something i want to do seriously and, and yeah. as
1: you know i don't know if it's your whole living but you know as a focus of your life yeah yeah at, at this point it it is my uh full living um um just very recently i've uh-huh. i've done you know i've worked uh carpentry and construction for you know the past well since you know l- shortly after high school to now basically um so that has been like my income while i've tried to uh also you know give myself an education and art and um you know work on my craft and skills but that's uh yeah that, that was the point where you know end, end of high school you're kind of contemplating all right wh- now what? you know what what could I do with my life and art was something I was interested in but it was one of those things it's like well it's probably not a career you know it's a to be made uh you know being a painter is more of a A hobby kind of a thing right that's definitely what we're told yeah right well that's that's kind of the the perception of it yeah um most of my exposure to art was through like art history books and so a lot of it i wasn't too aware at that point of much contemporary art and so to me artists and painters were people who were all dead and (laughs) you know people who lived hundreds and hundreds of years ago so it didn't really didn't really think of it as like something that people still did if that, if that makes sense. Yeah. Not in such a a grand sort of famous fashion. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. For sure. Did you go to college or did you contemplate going to college?
1: I did during that uh, period contemplate going to college, but, um, it was, it was one of those things where I wasn't quite like, I did want to pursue art, but also thinking of art, not as a, like a profession where you could make a living. To me, it seemed a little silly to try and go to college for art to not make a living at it right (laughs) so um so I uh I started doing uh construction and carpentry and uh because I could uh I could do that and in the the job that I took I was like a I shortly became a a, a carpenter's apprentice and so I was very uh very happy to be making some money and uh learning a skill and Mm -hmm. uh you know being able to to learn something and get a education get schooling of sorts while making money so yeah
0: So, a little bit more about you know the the college thing. Mm-hmm. I know, for me, you know, just speaking from my own experience, and I know a lot the experience of a lot of others. There's there is a a conventional pressure to you know achieve you know a higher learning degree, mm. and you know you're not going to be able to make it in the world unless you do. And there's you know all the evidence in the world that that doesn't make a difference. It's hard to make a living right. in, a, in your way in the world no matter what yeah. degree you have, but. Yep. Did you feel that pressure? You know, homeschooling is a different sort of background for sure. But did you feel that pressure,
1: external pressure, of needing to achieve something like that? Yeah, I, I, I guess I felt some pressure in that way. Um, college seemed very foreign to me, not um, not growing up with a conventional education. So it was def- it was definitely something that seemed intimidating. And so I think that's maybe some, some reason why I also you know, didn't go to college, but, um, yeah, a, going at any of the arts, I feel like, you know, you, you can go to college for them and you can learn, but, uh, sometimes it's, sometimes it creates a unique perspective to not do things the conventional way. And then you have your own, your own things to say and your own perspective on life that might be not as, um, you know, institutional or as conventional. So, Mm-hmm. yeah do you feel like you missed out on anything by
0: not you know having a public school experience or a college experience yeah, that, that's a that's
1: a good question um certainly in like academic areas i, I feel as if i missed out some on not having a, a more formal education or college education um, and certain things i found along the way just with my uh, giving myself a education in art i could have learned things a lot more quickly, I'm sure with a, you know, proper art, uh, you know, degree or going to a art college. But uh, another thing that kind of deterred me from going to an art school was that um, there's very few schools where you can learn about the traditional methods of painting. And that's more of what I was interested in. I wasn't interested in kind of the, the new thought behind modern art and, um, you know, getting a more wide art education I was interested in. Specifically, I want to learn to paint. And that's uh, those are very specific, like, academies that exist. A few in the States, but a lot, like, overseas. And okay. so that was another deterrent, you know, of, as to attending and getting a more formal education in art. It would have been a much bigger undertaking. Yeah, yeah. certainly.
0: Well, do you feel like you gained anything from from not having that experience then? Like, you know taking maybe the longer way of of learning about your the art you want to be making but doing it in your own way
1: yeah i I definitely think i i gained from not having a conventional uh you know education in art um being able to bring and incorporate a lot of uh you know my own history and my own experience of the world and then also being able to experiment and um trial and error and figure out what I like what I don't like and you know figure out what my interests are and everyone everyone's you know view of the world is unique and so I think the more that you can preserve that view of the world that you have or where you came from I think it's I think it only serves to make your art um, more personal and less uh, you know less conventional.
0: So you you grew up here you've you've been here your whole life, and what has that you know has that ever been a decision for you? Has there ever been a question of of living somewhere else, or is it is it you know? Has Maine has been your home essentially to you?
1: Um, my family uh, when I was younger we'd travel down to Florida for the winter times and um, wasn't uh, I don't I don't like the heat at all uh-huh. and so. Uh, for reasons of of climate and for reasons of, you know, my family and my friends that were here in Maine. Maine has always, you know, been my home and I haven't really been interested in living somewhere else. I I like traveling, I like seeing and experiencing new cultures and places, but um, Maine certainly feels like home and always has felt like home to me.
0: Pepin Middlehauser, and this is the next wave radio hour from WERU. So, what has been your experience of being a young person in Maine of um, hard experiences of, you know, learning how the world works or, you know, learning what your place is in the world and where you want to be and what you want to be doing. And, you know, what has that sort of trajectory been like for you of, of being a young person and coming up against, you know, Mm. obstacles?
1: Yeah. Um, I don't know. Maine has its, uh, you'd have to live here, I suppose, to understand the the culture that Maine has, but, uh, it's, uh, it's very much homogenous, I guess, you know, there's, there's not uh, a lot of diversity <laughs> in Maine. Um, and so, uh, growing, growing up in Maine, you know, certainly felt like isolated a little bit, um, you know, from the rest of the world and from, the modern times if you will i think maine is you know 20 years behind well now with the internet maybe not so much but it's 20 years behind the technology and you know the the culture of most other places in the world so um when i uh growing up we didn't have uh i don't even know how old i was when we finally got internet you know and when we did it was dial-up and so it was (laughs) you know it was there wasn't a lot of connectedness like, like growing up now. Anyways, um, you can be a lot more connected to different things that are going on in the world. Um,
0: I definitely feel that I had a similar thing of, I grew up off grid and I grew up homeschooled as well, you know, Mm -hmm. all the way through, through high school and growing up in the middle of the woods with, you know, internet that required you to not have access to a phone, you know, that sort of thing. And it took forever to load anything. Oh yeah. Um, it was definitely, you know, at the time I for sure didn't know what I was missing out on. Right. Yeah. You, know? you just don't even know. It's uh, yeah. It's only in retrospect. You really understand right. you know, what you missed. Yeah. Um, but in a lot of ways also, you know, I appreciate the the culture and community of Maine so much more because of that. Yeah. The distance from everything. Right. And the and the, the difficulty it is to make connections. Right. The difficulty that exists with that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the connections and community that you can create are almost stronger than it feels like it is in other places. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I definitely think so. And it is, it you know, while there may be negative aspects of having such a isolated homogenous culture, um, you know, there's certain benefits and there's certain like small town charm that comes with having a certain understanding with everybody that's kind of around and, uh, yeah the culture develops isolated and becomes a little bit more specific and unique in some certain areas so yeah yeah for sure um do you have
0: any other you know stories or or examples or 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 you know thoughts about about the aspects of being a young person in maine um not, not just negative you know mm. good yeah good mm. elements to okay it, yeah, you know yeah we just talked about some you know the community elements of it yeah. but is there anything else that you have
1: oh uh certainly the outdoors i mean like that's that's what maine is you know there's people to land ratio you know we're a very unpopulated state and have some you know incredibly diverse um you know environments you have uh the western mountains in maine you have uh, you know katahdin and the north woods and that has a whole different feel than being on the coast and there's there's just so much uh, so much outdoor variation to experience and uh, that was that was certainly something that i loved growing up and still love you know you can go swimming you can go to the coast you can go mountain climbing you can hike you can you know there's, there's so many options and so that uh, That was definitely a a thing that I loved about growing up. Um, Yeah, just being being outdoors and being somewhat isolated from you know people was uh, certainly certainly an enjoyable experience as well. Yeah, yeah. Do you
0: do you feel like a I don't know introverted extroverted are so black and white like it's Mm. way
1: more nuanced than that? But do you feel introverted? Oh, side of things. Extremely introverted. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. I've learned to be a little more extroverted and, you know, social settings and stuff, but I, m- most, uh, most days I just prefer to be by myself and <laughs> work on my projects and, you know, just keep to myself. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I'd love to talk about some of your projects. Like let's
0: dive into your art. Um, oh yeah. So I, I know a tiny bit from just, you know, looking at your website and stuff like that, but you have some really cool, unique, you know, art you come at it from a very cool and interesting
1: place I love to just hear about your whole yeah everything you do well um it's you know what I do is always constantly evolving and that's what keeps it interesting and um I tend to put um creative constraints on myself in some ways just as a way to make things interesting but also to um just uh I think Putting constraints on yourself is very useful in a lot of different ways because, as a as an artist and a creative you know personality, too many options is that's uh, how you don't get anything done ever. <laughs> <laughs> and so to kind of focus in on a particular vein a particular area, um, it's uh, it's very interesting. Um, so I currently, I do um, I do like egg tempera painting and watercolor painting. Mm-hmm. And, uh, for people who aren't familiar with egg tempera painting, um, it's, uh, it's a paint that you, you have to make uh, fresh every day. You can store it maybe for a little bit in the fridge, but I make it fresh. Um, it's egg yolk and then you mix it with dried pigments. And, uh, so it's very, very natural, you know, non-toxic kind of, uh, kind of paints, you know. So it has to be made by the artist and so you have complete control o- over the texture of the paint and you know everything is in your control. Um, so it's very, it's very um, satisfying to be involved from mixing the paint to applying the paint and even making the paint. Um, I first learned about egg tempera um, from the art history book. Um, there's a painting very famous painting uh, the birth of Venus by Botticelli and um, I was reading reading through the books at the time and I came across that one and tempera was the medium that was listed and I hadn't come across that before and so I went down the rabbit hole and looked at what that was and I was painting with oil paints at the time um, which I didn't particularly love because it takes a long time to dry Mm -hmm. and um, I was always interested in a lot of detail in, in my art. And so tempera dries very quickly and um, you can make pigments yourself and mix them very easily, which that kind of fit right in with um, my upbringing of being you know out in the woods and being in nature. I had lots of uh, rock collections as a as a kid, and yep. <laughs> feather collections and just you know naturalistic, uh, collections you know um and so that just learning that people used to and still do make their own paint was just like fascinating to me so um i bought some pigments and and experimented with some egg temper painting but then i started to um make uh my own pigments out of you know material from around because a lot of uh, a lot of art paint um you know even fine art paint is uh mineral pigments or earth pigments and it's it's just natural material that's you know sourced from you know from around different places I mean there's there's different colors like um burnt sienna and um raw sienna and uh all it is is earth um from a particular place in sienna and that's why that's why it's that name wow yeah yeah so there's there's, uh you know there's very like historical places where pigments have come from and it's like it's a whole uh, it's a whole history lesson just to research the invention of paint. And is it is it as technical
0: as like, you know, champagne is a specific type of bubbly alcoholic beverage from the champagne area like burnt like Sienna and burnt Sienna is that have to be well,
1: traditionally that's where it like would have come from yeah but now it's uh now it's known as you know it's a color it's like a, right. it's a shade it's but the, the origin of the the colors, origin right. of right yeah so there's lots of uh, lots of different pigments that are like a, a, there's a historical version but then now people call like anything that that is that color by the historical name um there's a there's a pigment um for fine art painting you have mostly like three blacks that you use. Uh, There's like Ivory Black, um, Lamp Black, and then Mars Black is one. Uh, Mars Black is like a iron-based pigment. Mm -hmm. Lamp Black is soot from burning, uh, like petroleum or burning burning different things. And then uh, Ivory Black traditionally was elephant ivory that was charred and then ground up into a black pigment. Wow. And so we still use, like artists still use the name Ivory Black to describe a pigment, um, obviously it's not sourced from elephant ivory anymore, um, but it's it's made from animal bones, basically. Mm-hmm. But it still carries the name ivory black. Um, some people refer to it as blown, bone black. But, um, anyways, there's like different historical uh, places that pigments have come from. <laughs>
0: My name is Pepin Middlehauser, and this is the Next Wave Radio Hour. You're listening to my conversation with Maine painter Nathan Allard. Talked about the the origin of you know you've always been interested in in art and it slowly increased until mm-hmm. you knew it's what you wanted to do. Um. So where where does your inspiration come from for art? Is it is it you know the sort of ever flowing font of of inspiration, or or do you you know experience times when you have to go and seek it out, or all of the above, or mm.
1: That's a, that's a good question. Um, no ins- inspiration for me is, it's almost like a attitude of, uh, of being more. Um, I get inspired a lot by things that aren't necessarily subjects that I would paint or things that interest me in painting. Um, but just by being engaged and learning different things and putting myself in a position where I I'm, interested and engaged in the world and engaged in projects. So it's, it's almost like it's almost like uh, you have to, have to keep yourself inspired and and do it um, consciously, you know, don't it's a practice. It's a practice. Yeah. To sit around and wait for inspiration is, it's kind of useless. Um, You have to get up and start doing something and you have to engage in Um, learning and engage in whatever you're working in um so i you know sometimes i'll be more focused on something that's not specifically art related but it's it's giving me a um, sense of engagement and a sense of uh inspiration if that makes any sense at all it does honestly yeah yeah You're a musician as well, right? Yeah, yeah. So in in some capacity, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Um,
0: How how does that you know how did that come into your life and how you know yeah does um, that you know influence any other parts of your life?
1: Yeah, it it certainly does. Um, Music. I love learning. I love uh, I love music, and so it's it's a it's great to it's it's been great to learn to play music and especially play music with other other people um, because it's engaging and you know there's a lot of things to think about. Um, I, I have some friends, um, from Palermo, the Pottles, and, um, they run a bluegrass festival and, um, is that the, the friends and family, family and and friends, family and friends, yeah, yeah, family and friends, bluegrass festival in, in North Palermo. Yeah. Um, and so I, I didn't play much music before I met them. I, I messed around here and there, but it wasn't focused in any particular genre of music, um. My grandmother grew up uh, playing piano and she would always play piano when we were over there. And, you know, I would sit down and mess with it a little bit. But, you know, I was certainly not uh, learning piano or anything. But um, so with music, uh, uh, I guess bluegrass was a early thing that I started with. um, And not even bluegrass, really, but more like, uh, you know, folk music and, you know, Irish fiddle music. Yeah. More recently, some more like... New England, ContraDance, you know, Quebec, French-Canadian kind of kind of stuff is what I've been interested in. Um, so music, music more recently in that capacity has been a good uh, balance for art. Um, when I'm in the studio and painting and drawing, my attention only can last for so long on a particular, you know, painting or, or something. And so I'll, I'll take a break and play an instrument for a little while and practice that. And it kind of engages a uh, a different part of my brain, you know, where painting is all very visual and, you know, you're worried about spatial things and, you know, organizing certain things on a, on a piece of paper and form and like three-dimensional stuff. And music, there's no dimension to it, you know. It's just, it's sound. And it's uh, once you stop playing, it doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. It's very, it's, they're very conflicting things, but which is great because like, your mind can engage in one thing and then get a break and engage in the other thing. So, yeah, it's using two different sides. of Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, just resets the focus a little bit to take a break and do something different. Um, so
0: what is your process for for art? Mm. You know, um, how long does it
1: take? What how do you decide what your mm. next piece is? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I work on probably way too many things at once, <laughs> um, but uh, my we talked a little bit about, you know, like creative limitations earlier. And um, so for my uh, what I do now, I, I decided to stop using photography as, as reference. Um, when I first started out, I used photography. Um, and what I found is I would just copy whatever the photograph was and they didn't feel like there was much creativity and um, much interest in that for me because um, I just felt like a machine basically taking what's in the photograph and then redoing it but with paint so it felt very like sterile and not uh, it didn't feel like there was a part of me in, in it mm-hmm. um, and so my current process is you know if I'm interested in a particular subject I'll start drawing um, and then that drawing might turn into a watercolour or multiple watercolours or multiple other drawings. And then when I have, um, when I feel like I have enough uh, information from my preparatory studies and drawings, I'll then work on like the tempera version. And uh, then that is what I'll normally do in the studio. Sometimes I will do tempera outside, but mixing the paint outside is, it's a, uh, a little little, uh, cumbersome and and Mm -hmm. difficult and the sunlight sunlight and air moving can dry out the paint way too quickly. And so it's not as practical as drawing and watercolors outside.
0: Um, Some of the stuff on your website too, you were talking about how, you know, there are pieces that you do where you incorporate your subject
1: matter into Mm. the painting itself.
0: Mm. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah,
1: yeah. So um, similarly with the... Creative constraints on um, not using photography. I mostly uh, try and create and use all my own pigments. Um, I substitute certain things here and there. Um, Maine is a great uh, it's a great spot to make a lot of earth pigments and and different neutral colors, but we don't have um, we don't have natural material that you can really make a bright blue or a bright red out of. So I'll substitute uh, I'll substitute the uh, more commercial conventional pigment, um, for a bright color sometimes. So just learning, learning about how pigments are created and what pigments are made out of, there's plenty of opportunity to take earth or different, um, you know, wood and turn it into charcoal and different materials from like an area and then make paint out of it. And so that's, um, that's been something that I, I have no rules about having to do it. It's just something that if uh, if there's something, if I feel really connected to a particular area or a particular place, I'll try and gather some material from there and incorporate it into the painting. Um, through a lot of art history reading about the different, um, different painters in the Renaissance, they did a lot of experimenting with cre- creating and crafting their own pigments that maybe they couldn't buy. And so the artists would... Uh, Get creative and experiment with um, making pigments from stuff that they had access to, and so from a historical perspective, it's very interesting to me to read about a painting and there's specific things that were in the local area around the painter that he incorporated and used in the painting, and yeah, so different uh, different Renaissance artists used to make a lot of their own paints um because you know paints were imported you know bright colors were very expensive and so certain artists would experiment grinding up you know colored glass to get get a particular color that uh, you might not obtain otherwise wow and so um that's very interesting to me just as a historical given historical context to a painting and it kind of like ties the painting more specifically to the area that it was created and you know, the artists who created it. And so that type of thing interests me. And that's why, that's why I like to incorporate, you know, material from the area and just, you know, material from the greater area of Maine. And, you know, do you have any specific stories or, or examples of, of pieces you've done? Mm, Hmm. Um, yeah, I've, I've done, I do a lot of paintings of trees. And so, um, if there's a very prominent you know tree in the uh, picture i'll normally grab a piece of bark or a little stick from the tree and char it and uh, create charcoal and uh, use that for the black um but there's there's a painting i, I did um that uh well there's the, there's a place called Kokajo, which is up by um, moosehead lake and um my since I think the first time I went up there with my friends, I was like eight, but it's their, it's their family's camp and, and they go up there every summer. And so I've been going up there for years. And then as I started painting, I'd you know, paint when I went up there during the summertime. And um, at first I was just doing watercolors and drawings up there. But then when I started in temper painting, I decided to try and do a painting using only you know, material I could find up there at the camp. So it'd be like a molecular you know version of that area but you know put on canvas or not canvas but a panel put on a panel and um so i used a piece of the cabin and i charred that for the charcoal and then used a lot of different stones and rocks from the you know lake shore for the other different colors and so this is a very very personal painting for me just because I look at the paint and you know it's a it's a painting of the cabin but I look at the paint and I know exactly what everything is and I know like it's it's the cabin but it's also like physically the cabin and it's also physically the rock rocky shore and you know the earth from around that land and stuff so it's it's just like it's a little artifact of that area yeah so so I, I'm really curious about this because I, I
0: I don't know anything about this in the sense of I'm not I'm not a visual artist. I'm a musician, if anything. So the art that I produce, I can share really easily with mm-hmm. other people. You know, it's audio that I can, you know, right. b- share and present. Um but this sort of visual art is is a physical thing mm-hmm. that there is, you know, one of. Right. What what's your relationship with, you know, having it be your your occupation and creating these from everything you're saying, really intimate pieces mm. and selling them and, you know, parting with them and yeah. spreading them across the world. You know, I'm sure some of it's, you know,
1: bittersweet or, or something. Yeah. I can only imagine, but, right. you know, well, um, you know, to be an artist means that you're trying to support yourself with your creativity and with your, with your craft. So that does mean letting go of things and, uh, mm. certain, certain paintings I have are, definitely ones that are mine (laughs) and that uh, won't, uh, probably won't go anywhere. Um, but I make, I make a lot of uh, reproductions of my work. And so that's a good way to, um, sometimes not have to part with a piece, but also to make, um, make my paintings affordable for, um, people who aren't collectors or people who can't, you know, afford to spend a large amount of money on a painting. Um, and so that's that's really nice because, you know, the people that, uh, you know, Maine is certainly not known as a particularly wealthy area for mm-hmm. at least for the people who live in Maine and call Maine their home. Yeah. And so a lot of uh, a lot of what we consider Maine art nowadays is is, is uh, it's like tourist art, you know, mm-hmm. it's made to cater to the people who can the out of state people who can come to Maine and afford to buy it. And so, I don't know. Getting kind of sidetracked on the question here, but no, it's all good. <laughs> but um, that type of art doesn't really, no, it doesn't really seem to represent what I understand as Maine. And um, some of some of the things that I choose to paint, uh, I paint a lot of uh, blue tarps that are. Draped over the side of a ragged old <laughs> building. That's very Maine, yeah. <laughs> or a wood pile, which to me is extremely Maine. Yeah. And um, certainly not in the tastes of any uh, rich out of stater that would like <laughs> to show their friends their painting of Maine, you know. So, so. the blueberries and lobster buoys. Right, yeah. yeah. And so uh, all that is to say, making uh, prints of, of my artwork makes it, you know, affordable and. I can, I can sell those prints and people from Maine and, um, you know, people who can't afford, I mean, I can't, I can't afford to buy (laughs) the art that I really like and appreciate, you know, but I can buy a print. Right. And so that's a, that's a wonderful benefit of, you know, the, you know, technology that goes into reproducing art and, and stuff. So it's a, it's good to mention. Yeah.
0: You're listening to the Next Wave Radio Hour. I'm your host, Pepin Middlehauser. You're hearing my conversation with painter Nathan Allard. do you so you mentioned a little while ago you know some of the the art history that kind of got you started mm-hmm. in being really interested in, in art and how it's produced and producing it yourself um, are there any standouts of, of you know those historical artists that are really inspiring oh, yeah. to you and also contemporary artists
1: mm-hmm. um, yeah most most of the artists that I admire are more historical, I guess, or, or deceased. Um, yeah. But uh, certainly um, Albrecht Durer, who was a German artist and printmaker, um, I think he was born in Nuremberg in the 1400s, uh, no, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. He, he did a lot of very detailed um, watercolors and um, drawings that are just, uh, they're just stunning to me. His, his attention to species accuracy and like botanical accuracy is just it's astounding to me because it's so it's it's so old but um it's just so accurate you know he he has this little it's just a little sketch it's not it was wasn't even a finished painting but it's called like turf of grass or something it's just it's just a little piece of grass that shows there's plantain there's dandelion there's clover there's like very specific botanical plants in there and they're all accounted for there's no there's no just uh you know random little bits of green or you know botanicals that you can't identify and so i know that that's his his attention to detail is certainly a very uh very inspiring to me um he also did a lot of etching and um he was an artist who started reproducing his work um and selling prints of his etchings he'd go to a go to markets and and stuff and he'd set up it wouldn't be an art market it would be like a you know vegetable market or just some some sort of thing and he'd set up his his prints of his etchings and he'd he'd sell copies of them and stuff and so that's definitely inspirational to me Um, as far as other other artists Andrew Wyeth is one that I greatly admire Um, I came across him uh, shortly after I learned what egg temper was because um, he was an egg tempera painter and his work just really resonated with me because he he did a lot of his work here in Maine. Um, and I never was aware of his work too much. And so to, to find out that there was a, a man that lived 40 minutes or so from where I grew up that uh, painted an egg tempera and painted scenes of Maine, you know, stuff that I was more familiar with. Um, was just it was just it was crazy to me. And I, I guess Andrew Wyeth was somebody who inspired me um, just in the, in the fact of he was a contemporary artist and he made a living, you know, selling art. And uh, while his, you know, success is probably unmatched by most anybody, you know, in the modern world, but um, it made it seem like uh, choosing painting as a profession was something that was still possible and something that people still did and not just like a you know a historical thing. Mm-hmm. Um so Andrew Wyeth, Winslow Homer was is, is another great uh artist that lived in Prout's Neck, um, Maine. And um his watercolors are just fantastic. Um there's uh, a Japanese block printer, Hakusai, um the, he did the famous, it's like the Great Wave uh, right. painting. Yeah, or it's not a painting; it's a block print. Yeah, he did that along with uh, I think there's like 36 other. It, it's it's a larger suite of uh, it's like 36 views of Mount Fuji, and so there's 36 you know individual views of the Japanese landscape that all have Mount Fuji in the background, and that's just one of the you know the Great Wave is one print from that series. so he is he was he's quite an inspiration to me Um, he did that print when he was like in his 60s or 70s and up until that point um, he considered everything else that he had done like insignificant and so it's very encouraging to think that you know an artist could do you know not even begin to touch their best work until they're 70 you know 60 70 years old so Hopefully I have a lot to look forward to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then there's a, as far as inspiration with painters, um, there's a group of Russian artists called the Um, that translates to the wanderers or the travelers. And they, they, um, they painted from like the, what's it, the 1860s to 1880s, maybe um, the, The more like state or czar sanctioned uh, paintings of the era were through like an academy, an art academy. And that was pretty much like if you were a professional occupational artist, that's what you had to work through was the academy. They broke off from the academy and started their own kind of school of painters. um, And they focused more on the landscape of Russia and not um, not paintings of the czars and the bourgeoisie and like, you know, the rich people. Um, they painted, you know, the peasants and they painted the, the forests of Russia and like Russia as a landscape and not as a, you know, not so much uh, to do with politics, you know, and so they, they set up their own group of, um, painters and they did traveling art exhibits all around Russia. And, um, so they just their subject matter of, uh, of what they painted is greatly inspiring to me, but also just their kind of their ethos of. Breaking off from like the the more widely accepted state sanctioned art, and you know, creating something that was is like art for general people, and not uh, not something that's only understandable with a degree in art and you know, modern theory. So, mm-hmm. yeah. does
0: your art mean more to you than just being the piece of art that it is? Uh, is there more to it than that, essentially?
1: Yeah, I'm, well, what, um, you know, what the general public sees with art and with painting is the the finished piece, you know, that that's what they see. Yeah. And um, for the artist, you know, like the finished piece, that's the that's the end of the artistic pursuit. And it's, it's great to finish something, but it's also kind of, um, you know, it's it's much more about the exploration that leads to the finished piece and almost less about the finished piece. And so, when, you know, when when artists get together and talk about things, they don't talk about their finished paintings. They talk about how they paint and what inspires them and their tools and techniques that they're using. And so that's that's the kind of stuff that's interesting to artists that, uh, you know, people don't don't understand, I suppose. You no. Know? gives you hope mm-hmm. wow that's a that's a big question um it's, i mean it's really just the little things i suppose but um just seeing people be kind to other people and you know not judgmental and um people you know treating other people as if they're also humans and um people understanding their place in the world a little bit more. Um, I think there's an idea that humans own the planet a little bit. Mm -hmm. And um, while we are the, you know, as far as we know, the smartest, you know, beings on the planet, um, that means that we have the, you know, we're kind of charged with taking care of the planet. Um, Yeah. So I guess what gives me hope a a little bit is seeing other people not just think about themselves, you know, think about other people and consider other people's feelings. And then on a broader, you know, scope, thinking about the planet and considering what's good for all of humankind and not just me, you know, what's good for the community, what's good for the state or my country, um, and just the planet really, you know, uh, humanity as a whole, and, you know, the natural world as well.
0: Um, I usually end the conversations with um, uh, one question um, which I'm going to sort of combine with another question mm-hmm. um, in this context of so is there is there something that you know now that you wish you had known uh, five, ten years ago, whatever period of time ago that sure. might have helped you back then and kind of in the same context do you have advice for someone who is an aspiring visual artist yeah or artist of any kind that um you know stuff that other uh, advice other people gave you during your process
1: yeah that helped you um or anything like that i guess something i could have benefited from that i know now that i you know could have implemented and used you know when i first started painting um you really have to have you know in whatever artistic pursuit that you want to um you know go after there's there's like a technical element that you need to be aware of and concerned with. And then there's also the the creative aspect. And um, I think there's a lot of focus on the creative aspect of, of things and the, the self-expression, um, you know, side of art. And I think just in my own experience, um, some of the technical things kind of get left behind because those aren't the those aren't the. Um, things that the public necessarily sees, um, what they see is the product of the knowledge of your, you know, technical expertise in your particular area. And especially, um, especially with the modernist movement in art, which is, you know, mostly about self expression, there isn't such an emphasis on proper technique and, and knowledge of something. And um, specifically with realism, uh, painting that I do, you know, there are certain reasons why a painting will look real and not real. And it's not anything to do with how I feel or what I want to express. There's, you know, specific laws of nature that dictate what something looks like. And um, so putting an equal amount of uh, time into learning your craft as, you know, as a craftsman or, you know, a craft person, almost instead of an artist specifically is something that I wish I focused on a lot sooner um and i think that's something whatever creative field you're in you're going to learn the vocabulary and the tools to say what you want to say and then bring your own um you know thoughts and ideas to the table but you have to have a, a good way to convey your your um you know feelings and your thoughts mm-hmm. so
0: Lastly, do you want to mention uh you know, your website or, or where people can oh, find your art and sure.
1: learn more about you? Sure. Um you can go to my website. Um it's NathanAllardArtist.com or um I don't know if people are still on Facebook, but I do have a Facebook page that I check twice a month, maybe if I'm lucky. <laughs> um but uh Instagram also Allard Artist. You can you can find me there. And I Check that a little more than twice a month, so yeah, you can keep up to see what I'm doing on Instagram. Probably the best way. But and do you have any
0: regular, you
1: know, annual shows or stuff that you, you um, bring your art to? I I always have my stuff at the Common Ground Fair, which is a uh, is a wonderful place. Um, great, uh, just the whole mission of the fair is fantastic. Their commitment to sustain, uh, sustainability and uh, just local, you know, agriculture, local craft, local, everything. It's great. Um, it's the common ground fair. I'm always there. And then, um, I have different shows periodically and maybe, uh, maybe I'll have one this fall. We'll see.
0: That was painter Nathan Allard. I really highly recommend going to see some of his work yourself. On his website, which again is Nathan Artist.com. That's Nathan Allard, A L L A R D, artist.com. Before I end the show, I wanted to briefly mention a bit of news that I haven't yet shared on the program. The Next Wave Radio Hour was awarded a Maine Association of Broadcasters Award last year. It was first place in the locally produced program category. It was a huge honor and definitely a good reminder to me personally of the importance of the work this show is trying to do in getting the experiences and voices of young people out there in the world and the appreciation and support that exists for this work. I want to thank everyone who has helped, supported, participated in, and listened to the show. You are the ones that make this possible. Lastly, if you know of someone who you think I should chat with on the show, please do email me your suggestions. You can send them to nextwaveradio at weru.org. Thanks. And this has been the Next Wave Radio Hour from WERU Community Radio. I want to give a huge thank you to my guest today, Nathan Allard. You can find links to his website and Instagram page in the archived show notes at WERU.org. Thank you also to the Maine Community Foundation for supporting this program. Our theme music is by Zeke Sakharidis. You can find the archive of this and every other episode of Next Wave at weru.org and as podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and pretty much everywhere else you can get podcasts. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email nextwaveradio at weru.org. I would absolutely love to hear from you. Next Wave Radio Hour airs on the fourth Thursday of every month at 4 p.m. Until next time, take care of yourself, okay? Okay.